John chapter 18 this morning. Again, we're going to read the first nine verses. This time we'll get down to verse 4. But we want to read for our hearing this morning the first nine verses of these of this chapter, John 18, verses 1 through 19 or through 9. Verse 1 says, When Jesus has spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priest and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, Whom seek ye? <clears throat> or and soon unto them as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That, that the saying, Amen, might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. John 18 opens up with our Lord crossing the brook Kidron and ascending to the Mount of Olives. He did this for several reasons. First, He crossed the brook Kidron to fulfill the pictures and types that are found in the Old Testament concerning this historical place. We saw that last week. But he also came to the Mount of Olives because it had become a place where he and his disciples often gathered and assembled. You see that phrase in verse 2, they oftentimes resorted the word resorted there means that they assembled themselves together in that place. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 39, the Scripture says, He came out and went as He was wont. The old English word want, W-O-N-T, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, As was His custom or as was His habit. Uh, he went out as His habit was to go to the Mount of Olives and His disciples also followed him. The Lord had certain habits that he developed in his life and brought the disciples along with him in those habits. Now, brethren, we do not know all the reasons as to why our Lord chose this place. Nor do we know all that took place there as our Lord assembled with his disciples. But the Scriptures do reveal a few things. In Luke chapter 21, verse 37, for instance, our Lord gathered there so that He and His disciples might rest and sleep through the night. In Luke 21, 37, the Scripture says, and in the daytime, He was teaching in the temple. And at night, He went out and abode in the mount that was called the Mount of Olives. He abode. The Greek word behind the word abode here means that he lodged there or he passed the night there. It was uh, his hotel when he was outside of Jerusalem. It was the place where he would go to spend the night. He abode there. He abode there. The idea of crossing out of coming out of Jerusalem and crossing that brook and ascending into the Mount of Olives into that garden night after night so they could lay down and rest and sleep 
is amazing to me. They didn't rent any places in Jerusalem or in Bethany or anything like that. They just slept out in the open. Can you imagine gathered with our Lord Jesus Christ, the work, the day is gone. It's coming nighttime. You gather up in the Mount of Olives in the garden. And you know what happens, right? When you are getting ready for bed, you're sitting around, maybe you're talking. You're... Can you imagine the conversations that went on in that garden? We're not given to any, uh, any uh, examples of what took place there in terms of the conversation. In Luke 22, verse 39 and 41, we read that He gathered in that place to pray with His disciples. Luke twenty two thirty nine says, And He went out, or He came out and went as He was wont, as it was His custom, to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples also followed Him. In verse 41, Luke continuing the dialogue says, And He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and He knelt down and prayed. This is the account where he left eight in this place and took three with him to go and pray, indicating that it was a place where he would gather with his disciples to pray on a regular basis. It was also a place where he privately taught his disciples. Daily in the temple, in a public ministry, he was teaching them. But he would leave and go to the Mount of Olives from time to time and gather around him his disciples. Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 verses 3 and 4. We read, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us what shall be the things, what, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. And beginning to answer their question, he goes down through chapter 13 and further to address this. The same account takes place in Matthew 24 and 25. So it was a time when he gathered his disciples aside, a place where they could go that was private, a place where they could go to get away from the commotion of the day, a place where they spent the night, a place where they prayed together, a place where they could ask questions about things he had taught and be privately instructed as to what he was teaching. But there is a fourth reason why our Lord is here on this particular night. He gathered there at the Mount of Olives because it was a place known to Judas. This fourth reason points to the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is God. He knows all things. In fact, this morning's message is based on verse 4, Jesus knowing all things. He knows all things. This was not a place where our Lord was trying to hide from Judas. This was not a place where our Lord was trying to hide from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans. He was not trying to get away from the events that were opening up before Him that would certainly lead to Calvary's cross. He was not hiding from His purpose in coming to die for His people. It was a place well known to Judas and to all of the disciples. Brethren, when you read verses like this and other texts like this, always remember that our Lord freely and willingly went to Jerusalem to be crucified. Freely and willingly went to the cross to bear the sin of His people. Our Lord freely and willingly laid down His life for His people in their place. John chapter 10, verse 11. Our Lord said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. The good shepherd does not have His life taken from Him. 
The good shepherd does not have his life robbed. He died too soon. He died too early. He was only in his 30s. No. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. A few verses later, down in verse 17 and 18 of John chapter 10, we read, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. No man is coming into the garden of Gethsemane, coming to Mount of Olives that night to take Jesus Christ captive against His will. Everything is developing. Everything is working out according to the purposes of God. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, went forth. He gathered there because He knew Judas was going to come to this place. Judas knows where the Lord will be every evening. Judas knows where he goes to study, where he, not to study but to pray, where he goes to teach. Judas knows because Judas has been with him for three years. All the events which will take place in chapter 18 through 21 take place on purpose. Take place so that our Lord might fulfill everything necessary to save His people from their sins. Everything, every detail is worked out by God. It is all developing according to the purposes of He who set these things in motion before the foundations of the world. Jesus knows all things. Verse 4 says, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon Him. The Lord Jesus Christ knows What's coming? He's not hiding. He's not shirking his responsibility or his duty. He comes forth to meet them as they come into the garden. He is God and he is man at the very same time. And as God, he knows all things. He presently knows all things, but he has always known all things. He came to this earth knowing what would face Him 30 some odd years later. He knows this truth is borne out in both the Old Testament and in the New. The prophet Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me. And then he defines what he means by that in the next verse. Declaring the end from the beginning. We say God knows the end from the beginning. And that defines Him as God. And defines why there are no other gods but this one who knows the end from the beginning, who has set things in order. The Scripture goes on to say, Isaiah, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. My counsel shall stand, in eternity when there was nothing but God alone with God. Before the universe was created. God counseling with God. The triune God setting out a plan and a purpose to save sinners from their sins. Every detail of that being worked out in the person of the Son of God. And then God speaks and the universe comes into existence. And Adam falls into sin. And sin plagues all of mankind. And the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman. In the fullness of time, He came. Why did He come? 
What were His purposes? We've studied them as we've gone through the Gospel of John. But the main purpose is that He might stand in the place of sinners, take their sin on Himself, and bear that sin before the wrath of the Almighty, judged in their place, so that they could be made righteous to stand before God. It is the very purpose of Him coming. Set out from the eternity past. So the Scriptures in Acts 15 and verse 18 says, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. God knows everything. He knew everything before He left heaven and came to this earth. He knew everything before He was publicly baptized and announced to be the Son of God, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He knew everything as He carried out His earthly ministry in Judea and in Galilee in the face of constant persecution. He knew everything we looked at and have studied and learned in John chapter 7 and verse 30. Then they sought to take Him. But no man laid hands on Him because... His hour was not yet come. They tried to kill Him over and over again as He entered His ministry. In Luke 4, they tried to kill Him. Over and over again, they tried. Sought to take Him, to lay hands on Him. But they could not. He knew the appointed hour of His death. And its appointed purpose. Nothing would hinder that. Nothing would stop that. Our Lord Jesus knew the exact timing related to every event concerning His death, His burial, and His resurrection. In John chapter 13, in verse 1, we have read, now, there, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come. John 7, they could not lay hands on Him. Why? Because His hour had not yet come. John 13, when Jesus knew His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them unto the end. John 13, verse 1. Even while on the cross, as we will see in, in, a, in a few months when we get to John, 17, or John 19, even on the cross, while on the cross dying, dying in the place of His people, dying as one who knew no sin but was made sin for them, dying under the judgment of the Almighty, even on the cross, when that moment came, when everything necessary to satisfy the justice of God was completed, He would make a statement and John nineteen twenty eight, and Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. John 19.28 Everything necessary to satisfy the justice of the Almighty accomplished. Two verses later, He would say, it is finished. The hour has come when He can make that statement. The moment had come when it was all accomplished and He could make that statement. It is now finished. I have done what I have come to do. I have come to save My people from their sins. Jesus knowing all things. That's the first part of this message. Second, Jesus knew all things concerning the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. We've looked at verse 4 at the statement, Jesus knowing all things. Let's back up. And I'll come back to verse 4 next Lord's Day. Let's back up to verse 2 and 3. Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with His disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and of officers and from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. In these verses, we learn that Judas knew the exact place where our Lord would be that evening. 
But before we look at that fact, we must recognize that our Lord knew that Judas knew. And our Lord came there before Judas arrived. Does God know everything about what you are going to do? (laughs) Yes. There is nothing we can do to hide from Him. He knows all things. God knows everything about sinners and their sin. He knows it all. We cannot pretend to hide because He knows in advance. In the book of John, chapter 6 and verse 70 and 71, we read, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. Have not I chosen you? And do not I know that one of you is going to betray me? God knows when the sinfulness of sinners is complete and they are ready for His judgment. It is an interesting study to see how long-suffering God is towards sinners. To watch throughout the Scriptures as God is long-suffering with individual sinners and with nations of people. In the book of Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 15 and verse 16, God is promising Abraham that in 400 years or so, this land that he walked on was going to be his, going to be long to his posterity. And he says it's going to be 400 years. But he adds an explanation. In Genesis 15 and verse 16, the Bible says, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In the fourth generation, they're going to come back into the land. Why is it going to take that long? Why that long? Why can't I just have it now? The reason is because these nations that I'm going to overthrow and give to Israel, their iniquity is not yet full. 400 years will pass. And God will be long-suffering to the Canaanites. 400 years would pass as they worshipped idols and sacrificed their babies. 400 years would pass as the land would be spread with blood. 400 years of long-suffering and then judgment would come. Don't think, sinner, that because God hasn't brought swift judgment against you, that it will not come, because it will come. The long-suffering of God should lead you to repentance. Should have led Judas to repentance. But his mind and heart was set on his sin. We read the same truth in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16, speaking of the Jews, the Apostle Paul writes, forbidding, the Jews forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. The Jews forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles in order that the Gentiles might be saved. And then he adds this statement. This thing that they are doing in forbidding us and trying to hinder us and trying to stop us from taking the gospel is to fill up their sin always. Wow! For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Their efforts to stop the Lord Jesus Christ in the spread of the Gospel, their efforts to stop the apostles in the spread of the Gospel, their efforts to stop the churches in the spread of the Gospel was to fill up their sin so that in 70 AD the wrath of God would come on that nation. To the uttermost. We don't think like that. We think everything's fine. Nations will be just fine. Nations can go on doing what they want to do. Live the way they want to live. Worship idols if that's what they want to do. Live and let live is the mentality of most people. But God, though long-suffering, knows the sin and sinners and will take account someday. Someday. God knows everything. 
about every sinner and their sin. The third point under this heading is this. The same is true of Christians. God knows the heart of every true Christian. I don't want to use that as a means of condemnation. I've often heard that taught in that way. Instead, I want to use it as the Scriptures would use it to encourage you this morning uh, that the knowledge that God knows your heart is a blessing. John chapter 21 in verses 15 through 17, we read the account of Jesus Christ asking Peter if Peter loves him after such a horrific failure as a Christian. In John 21, 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest, I love thee. What does Peter know about God? What does he know? He knows that God knows. You know, I love you. Now, God said, Peter, do you love me? Agape, up here, right? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Phileo, down here. That's the heart of a child of God. Lord, you know. And with that comes an honesty. You know. How does this conversation go? Then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. You're not here. You're here. According to your own testimony, I know that. But feed my lambs anyway. You take this and feed my lambs anyway. Did you catch what happened just then? He didn't say, Peter, you're not worth serving me till you get here. But while you are here, do what you can to feed my lambs. That's amazing to me. This mentality that as a Christian I am not worthy of serving the living God because of this or that that still plagues me in my Christian life. And without that in my life, then I could serve Him is is a lie. It doesn't mean that we can go around doing whatever we want to do anytime we want to do it. That's not what's going on here. Here is an honest Christian standing before his God with a knowledge that God knows. 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, that high standard of love. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Again, that middle level, that lower standard of the language. And he saith unto him, Then feed my sheep. This is what I want you to do. Where you're at in your Christian life. Verse 17, He saith on him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Isn't that what we're dealing with? You know all things. And if you know all things, you know what is in my heart. You know where I'm at. Thou knowest that I love thee. Again, that lower standard. Lord, you know where I am at. And then Jesus said on him, feed my sheep. The fact that our Lord knows all things is, can be, and ought to be a great comfort to the children of God. I have heard some try to use this attribute to to condemn the people of God, to chasten them and condemn them because they are not where they ought to be. They are not here, but here. But that is not how our Lord used it in this case. This all-knowing God, this omniscient God who can see and know to the depths of the heart of Peter who has just 
finished betraying Him a few days earlier, uses His knowledge to Peter to exhort him to serve Him where He's at. God uses it to comfort Him, to help Him, to strengthen Him, to go on and be faithful in His service for the living God. Knowing all things about us did not keep our God from choosing us before the foundation of the world that we should be His children. Knowing the end from the beginning, this God that we serve, did not keep Him from choosing us. Knowing all things about us did not keep the Lord Jesus Christ from dying on the cross in our place as a substitute for us to take our sin upon Himself. Knowing all things did not keep the Holy Spirit from seeking us out of all the generation of people and seeking us out and drawing us out from among the darkness into the light and out of life into death, out of death into life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not keep Him from doing His work in quickening us and bringing us into the kingdom of God. Knowing all things about us. Knowing all things about us. All the failures that we have as Christians. And, by the way, all the victories that we have. Does not keep our Lord Jesus Christ from saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. Nor when all are gathered together, does it keep Him to stand in the congregation of God and says that He is not ashamed to call us brethren. Knowing all things. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Again, this doctrine may not be and should not ever be used as an excuse for us to do whatever we want to do. But it should never be used as a means to condemn and beat down and browbeat the children of God into submission to some standard. God's Word is our standard. Seek out of the book of the law. Seek and learn from that what it is and how it is you are supposed to walk. Again, John chapter 18, verse 2 and 3. In these verses we learn that Judas knew the exact location, the exact place where our Lord would be that evening. The Mount of Olives is a big place. Judas knew. John 18 and verse 2 says, Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with His disciples. The word betrayed in the Greek is in a continuing present tense. Judas was even then in the process of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already betrayed Him as He got up from the meal and left the meal to go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the Sanhedrin and betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And with a bag of 30 pieces of silver on His belt, He now leads this band into the very place where he knew Jesus was going to be. He had betrayed him. He was betraying him. And in the end, he would kiss him on the cheek in that final betrayal to mark him out as the one that they were to take into custody. He knew the exact place. The exact place where they would be. This statement reveals several things to us, brethren. The first thing is this. Judas had all the benefits of all the other eleven disciples. He had been included in the twelve for all those years as they gathered up on the Mount of Olives together. Luke 22 and verse 47 says, While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss Him. Luke defines Judas entering into the garden as one of the twelve. What an amazing statement. Because it gives light on who he is. This is not a Johnny-come-lately. This is not a guy who's just come along and heard a message and said, I don't like that. 
This is a man called with the other eleven at the same time. This is a man equipped by God and sent out two by two to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. This is a man who had powers given to him by God. Look at the Scriptures, what the Scripture says about the twelve and what they were able to do. The twelve, including Judas. And with all that knowledge and all that ability, there came a moment in time where he turned his back on Jesus and said, No, I will not have this man to rule over me. Judas had all the benefits of three years of personal ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Judas set himself upon a course to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and kept on that course until he accomplished his task. Many times Christians set themselves on a course that is contrary to the Word of God, but they come to their senses and they realize they're wrong and they turn from that and get back to the place where they should be. They confess their sins. They repent again. They, they know that they have done wrong and they've corrected themselves. Many times that happens to a child of God. But Judas, having three years plus ministry with the Lord Jesus Christ, set himself on a course to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and set himself on that course irreversibly. With money jingling in his pocket, he would finish his task. Went to that garden that was well known to himself so that his efforts to betray the Lord Jesus Christ could be culminated there. Jesus chose that place so that Judas's efforts to betray him would be made easier. He's not hiding. Jesus put no obstacle in front of his in front of his way when he walked out on that meal, turned his back with the intent to betray him. Jesus did not set obstacle after obstacle, did not send warnings to him, did not send preachers to him, did not send the other disciples after him. Jesus let him go. And set no obstacle in His place. If you're here outside of Christ this morning, Jesus Christ, God Himself, is setting obstacles in front of you. Preaching is one of them. To let you know that this is not the way to go. The fact that there are preachers left in this country is evidence to me that God's not through yet. That doesn't mean things not, might, might not get worse. But even in Israel's darkest hour before they were captured by Babylon and destroyed, Jeremiah was preaching that they should repent. And Ezekiel preaching in Babylon to those who had been taken captive that they should repent. It is a mercy of God to send a preacher to warn sinners that they should repent and believe the gospel message. Judas set himself on a course and God did not restrain him. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the place where He knew, Judas knew, and it would be the easiest place to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful. The pathway you choose, God might let you have it. Be careful. The fourth reason, that fourth thing we can glean from this text this morning is this. Jesus went there to meet Judas. He knew he was coming. And he went there to meet him. Now he had gone other places to meet. He had gone uh, to Jacob's well to meet a woman at the well in John chapter 4. He had come to the pool of Shalom to meet an in, a man that was impotent and, and he had come here and he'd gone there and he'd gone this place and that place. He'd gone places before on purpose and for purpose. He'd shown through his whole ministry that he comes to places to meet people in order to save them. This time he comes to a place to meet Judas so that he could face the cross. Judas knew the exact place. Third reason. That's it. Third point. Jesus knows all things concerning the efforts of the Jews and the Gentiles to kill Him. 
Judas does not come into the garden alone. He comes in with a great band. Verse 3, Judas then having received a band of men and in connection with those officers of the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. A band of men. This is a phrase in reference to Roman soldiers. The band of men mentioned in this verse are probably somewhere between 400 and 500 Roman soldiers show up in that garden that night. Somewhere between four and 500 Roman soldiers led by Judas. But they are not alone. Because officers from, from the chief priests and Pharisees also come. These officers were servants. of the, those, They were those who assisted the chief priests and Pharisees. They were part of the bureaucracy of the middle management, if you want to call it that, who were present to do all that they could do to assist those who had employed them, to assist the chief priests and the Pharisees. This huge number of middle management showed up. Luke tells us that a number of the chief priests and captains of the temples and the elders were also present. Luke twenty-two fifty-two. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to Him, he, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? Speaking to the chief priests and Pharisees. They are there too. Matthew sums the whole number up with the phrase, a great multitude. Matthew 26, 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve came, and with him a great multitude. Four or five hundred Roman soldiers, a massive number of Officers, helpers, and chief priests, and Pharisees, and elders, all gathered in one place to take one man. I can't wait to get to the what happens in the next next Lord's Day, God willing. But let me finish what is before me this morning. All this information is given us to show us many things. But especially that those present were representative of the whole world. We find ourselves in that group standing in that great multitude that came that night. We find Gentiles there. We find Jews there. were. We find high-ranking, middle-ranking, common people. We find ourselves there. Those who were represented as coming up against God. That was us. That pictures us. Those who He would go to the cross for. That pictures us. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, we read these words. The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Verse 27, For of a truth against Thy holy child Jesus, whom Thou hast anointed, both Herod, and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. A summary statement. Who gathered themselves together against the Lord? Herod, Pontius Pilate, Jews, Gentiles, all gathered together. The second thing is this, all this information concerning the effort of both Jews and Gentiles to capture the Lord Jesus Christ and to crucify Him did not and could not negate the sovereign rule of God over all the events taking place. 
Now there's four, five hundred Roman soldiers. There's huge number of officers. There's 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 leaders. There's probably six, seven hundred men, maybe more there. And they have come for the purpose of getting the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is in absolute control of everything that's taking place. There is nothing happening. Nothing will happen that is outside the overreaching, overruling power of the Almighty in those moments. And in that which will take place in the next few hours as Jesus is nailed to the cross and crucified at Calvary. Listen to the Scriptures. Acts 2, verse 23. Acts 2, verse 23. Him being delivered. How? By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Him being delivered by His own Father, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This is working out. The details is all working out. God is delivering His Son into the hands of wicked men. Wicked men are guilty of killing and murdering the Lord's Christ. They are guilty of rejecting Him. They are guilty of killing Him. But God is delivering His Son into their hands. They cannot take Him. They cannot lay hold on Him without God stepping forward and out of the darkness of that garden as the Lord comes forward and says, Who are you looking for? And they say, We're looking for Jesus. And He said, That's Me. That's a paraphrase. I am. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, the same truth is expressed again. Acts chapter 4, 27, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, verse 28, for in order that they might do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Acts 4.28 Wow! There is in this truth a comfort, a, a settling effect. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going to happen. Except God is in absolute control of it. That which is true of His Holy Son is true of us. We haven't grasped that yet. We're still learning that. One more text regarding this truth. So that out of the mouth of two and three witnesses, a thing may be confirmed. Acts 13, beginning in verse 27 and going to verse 30. Acts 13, 27 through 30, And they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets. Neither they did not know him, they didn't know the word of God. Nor the voice, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them, that is the scriptures, in condemning him. They have fulfilled the word of God by their actions of condemning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28 And though they found no cause of death in him, Yet delivered they Pilate that he should be slain. Verse 29, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. When they had fulfilled all that was written by the prophets, when God sent him, when God, before the foundation world, created the world, and then God began to reveal Himself in the Word of God through His prophets, and the whole of the Old Testament is written by men of God who could see His day and wrote about it. 
All the promises of God, all the truth revealed in the Old Testament that one day a Messiah would come, a Savior to save His people from their sins. And all that prophecy, all those promises fulfilled when the Jews and the Gentiles laid hands on Him and nailed Him to Calvary's cross. Fulfilled the Word of God spoken in the Old Testament. All of it came to pass because God is in control. And so the title, Jesus Knowing All Things. And may that truth settle down in our hearts in the days that we are facing. May that truth settle down upon us. God knows. Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love Thee. And for you that are outside of Christ, He knows. You're not hiding anything from Him. You might be able to hide it from your parents. You might be able to hide it from your brothers and sisters. But you're not hiding anything from Him. And that's a good thing. It can be. Because He who knows the depths of your heart stands and says, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. You come to me and I'll forgive your sins. You come to me, I'll make you a child of God. You come to me just as you are, just the way you're at. Exactly as you are. Because I know everything anyway. And I won't cast you out. But it can also be a fearful thing because you spend your days and life not coming to Him with an awareness that He knows all things. And then you step out of time into eternity. Stand before God who knows all things. And you won't be able to say, but I, 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 no. No. Not in that day. And so it is a good thing this morning that God knows all things and it should be for you to come to Him. And child of God, it should be for you to come to Him. And like Peter of old, say, Lord, Thou knowest all things. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. Use me. Let's pray together.